0: And so it's fun to get to do that. You know, Christmas is an awesome time of year. Uh, Everything changes, the world changes, Uh, things look different. Uh, And as the body of Christ, we want to make sure that our hearts and our minds are focused on on Jesus, the the reason for Christmas. That we would uh, order our lives in such a way. It's so hard, Uh, we all stay so busy. That we would order our lives in a way that we could honor God with how we live through this season. The things that we make priority and uh, all all those things that seem to consume our time and consume our lives in the busyness of Christmas. But we want to make sure that we point our families and our own minds and hearts to Christ, the reason for Christmas. And so when we gather each week, we want to be reminded of that. We, we gather each week because of Jesus, that we have hope through him. Uh, but I want to read a passage out of Isaiah that uh, many, many years before Christ came was prophesying that Jesus would come and that here's how it would happen. He says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. And remember that word, peace, today is its key word. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning, as we've gathered, uh, Lord, to celebrate the birth of Jesus, to make Jesus the focus of our worship, of our time, of our prayers, of our music, of our teaching, God, you are the reason we gather so that we can honor you and worship you with song, prayer, teaching, all that we do, Father. Pray this morning that as we celebrate you, as we celebrate the coming of your son Jesus, God, that we would uh, celebrate from our heart, that we would worship you, that we would sing from our heart, that it wouldn't just be words on our lips and on our mouths, Father, but that we would use these words to honor you and to worship you. God, thank you. For the gift of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.
1: I know he will renew me until I stay.
0: As we sing those words, Father, that we would truly believe, God, that we would worship you and find you worthy of the devotion of our lives. God, we thank you for this season where we celebrate the birth of your son, Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have through his life without sin, his death, his resurrection, Father, conquering death, giving us hope. Father, thank you that you provided a way that we could be made right with our creator, you. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.
2: as a believer, it's not because you have sinned that you are struggling to have peace. It's part of this life. And Jesus doesn't rebuke you and say, how dare you? He doesn't say you should repent of the fear. He says you should find peace in him. And so when we go through storms of life, we're going to expect to see fear joining with the p or excuse me faith joining with our fear to learn how to bring faith to combat the fears rather than feeling guilty rather than feeling like i'm doing something wrong we need to understand that as believers we too are going to face storms and we're going to have fear we just have to learn how to bring faith to bear on that fear and that's what we're going to see. Luke gives us reasons to trust Christ in the midst of our storms. Father, I ask for your help this morning. I pray that as we look at Luke 8 and we, we look at these reasons to trust you in the middle of our storms, that you will actually begin to work on our hearts. Not just a mental exercise of why we can trust Jesus, but a spiritual encouragement and renewal. Work in our hearts so that we might combat fears with faith in you this Christmas season. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna look at three storms. Jesus is a storm chaser. He's chasing down these storms in people's lives and he's bringing peace in the midst of the storms. And so we're going to look for reasons that we can trust Jesus in the midst of our storms. First, we see Jesus encountering the disciples in a storm. Look at chapter 8. Of Luke and look at verse 22 through 25. Jesus meets his disciples in the middle of a storm. One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. So they set out and they sailed. And as they sailed, he fell asleep, and then a windstorm, a literal storm, came down on the lake, and they were, filling, they were filling with water, and they were literally in danger. So let's pause there. The first thing we need to notice is that these are believers. These are disciples of Jesus. These are men who have left everything to follow Jesus, and here they find themselves in the middle of a very real dangerous situation. And if you study like I did about the situation, the, the geographic area, there, were this, this lake, which is basically Sea of Galilee, is surrounded by mountains. And so it was very well known that windstorms would suddenly come upon this lake because of the geographic funneling of wind down onto the lake. And so it took them a real step of faith to, to get out on a small fishing boat with Jesus on a on a very dangerous sea. So there were very legitimate reasons for them to be cautious or to have fear about getting on the boat but there are also some illegitimate reasons there was a lot of uh, of of uh, super uh, superstition in the day that they thought that the sea was the abyss of demons and so people were very afraid of the sea so there's this scene of this mixture of legitimate fears and illegitimate fears. But whatever the case may be, these disciples who are followers of Christ find themselves in a boat, Jesus is asleep, and a windstorm, a very literal windstorm comes upon them. And so I just want to stop and say that we understand as believers that we still face storms and we still have fear. Some of them are legitimate, very real situations some of them are struggles that we have in our own hearts and minds with anxiety because we know at the at the root of all of our fears is a sense of powerlessness at, at the root of all of our fears is a sense of powerless. I can't stop the wind and rain from coming today. I can't stop the tornadoes and hurricanes, and I can't stop them, and so maybe I'm afraid of those things. Or I can't stop, what we're going to see today, the effects of sin on my life. I can't stop the, 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 the real struggles with sickness and death. They are coming. And so there's a real legitimate sense of fear That comes from the powerlessness to stop it and I pray today that we find help in the middle of it and we see in verse 24 what they did when they found themselves in the middle of the storm it says in verse 24 and they went and woke him saying master master we are perishing and he awoke and he rebuked them for turning to him right oh that's not what he said and he awoke and he rebuked the wind and the raging waves and they ceased and there was a calm don't miss the miracle here that's what i tend to do i tend to miss the very hard facts thinking about the theology of it but jesus just told the wind to stop and it stopped This really happened. What Luke wants us to see is the first point of our day. Jesus has power over storms of destruction. Very literal storms. He has power over the wind. Jesus is God, the creator of the storms. That's who you're turning to in the storms, is the one who has power over the storms of destruction, both literal storms and metaphorical storms He is God in flesh. At Christmas, we celebrate the Prince of Peace because he is God who took on flesh, entered into our storms, offering us peace. The great God-man. The point is to put your faith in Jesus in the midst of the storms. The point is turn to Jesus like the disciples did on their boat when they had a storm. They turned and said, Jesus, we got a real problem. Jesus wants us to know that he has the power over the storms of destruction. In verse 25, how did Jesus respond to them? He said to them, where is your faith? Wait a minute. They just turned to him, right? Where is your faith? And they were afraid. And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this that he commands even winds and water and they obey him that is the key question of the text who is this man who commands the wind and the waves and even they obey him when you come to jesus in your storms are you coming to him in fear? Lord, don't let me go through the storm. Lord, don't let me die. Lord, protect my kids. Lord, I'm just afraid of this and I'm afraid of that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's certainly good that they turned to Jesus in the storm, but they turned to him filled with fear, just afraid of everything bad that was going to happen. And Jesus didn't rebuke them. He addressed their fears, addressed the situation that was causing fears, but then he says, now I want you to come to me in faith. Where is your faith as you turn to me? How do you pray when you are in a storm or when you are afraid? Is it just, Lord, help me avoid those things that cause fear? Lord, don't let me have anything bad happen. Lord, just let me be in control of what I'm going to face, and then I will be okay. Well, that's not the right approach. I'm glad you're going to Jesus. But we should go to Jesus asking, Who is he? Who is this one? And we should go in faith that he is who he says he is, in his word he says he is the one who has power over the storms of destruction he is the creator he is the one who loves you he is good he is the one who promises to use all the storms for good in your life and for his own glory so as we enter into our storms and things that really happen I'm not rebuking you where's your faith I'm saying, go to Jesus, turn to Jesus, and ask him to help you believe who he is in the midst of those storms. That he is good, and he loves you, and he will be there with you and be enough for you in the midst of those storms. I think that's the greatest fear, is we just think we're not going to be able to make it through those storms. If if what I dread actually happens and it comes, I'm not going to survive. And Jesus says, You'll be fine. I'm going to be with you through it all. So learn to go to the Lord in faith in your prayers. Lord, help me to believe you are good. Help me to believe you are faithful. Lord, help me to trust in you and not in my own strength in the midst of the storm. Lord, deliver me in and through the storms, not necessarily just from the storms. Lord, help me to believe you will have everything I need to continue to trust you through the storms. Jesus has the power over the storms of destruction. Next we see Jesus encounters a man devastated by sin and demons. Look at verse 26. And then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. So everything in this scene now transitions from the Jewish world to the Gentile world. In the Jewish world, you were forbidden to deal with pork, with pigs. And you were forbidden to deal with anyone or interact with anyone who had been around them or been around tombs or dead people or carcasses. So everything about this scene you're about to hear is opposite Galilee, both spiritually and ceremonially, and now we see it geographically. Luke is saying, whole nother world, Jesus is heading to the Gentiles, Opposite Galilee, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn nothing. He was naked. That's how you pronounce that, right? He was naked. He had no clothes. He had been filled with demons, and he had not lived in a house, but he had been living among the tombs. Go down to verse 29. Why? For many a time... These demons had seized him. He he was kept under guard. He was bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. So think about this man's condition. This man is a complete social outcast. He doesn't have a people, he doesn't have a place. He is among the dead. He is the living among the dead. His Gentile people, his friends and family and neighbors, had no interaction with him because of his sin. He's not accepted because he's not conforming into the societal norms. He's living out in the desert like a wild animal, out of his mind, running around naked and living among the dead. This is what sin is. Does to us. This is a picture of the devastation, the destruction, the isolation of sin. Not only is he outcast or or isolated from the Gentile world, but he's also isolated from the religious people. The Jews would have said have nothing to do with this man because he's been living among the dead. He is ceremonially unclean. Jesus had every reason to say, "I'm not going near this guy." Perhaps that's where you are today. Perhaps you have lived a life given in to sin, and it has wreaked havoc on your life. And you find yourself without a people, without a place, not in your right mind, not in the right place. You feel condemned in the church, you feel excluded, you've broken relationships in your family. And you feel like you're all alone, and you're wondering, what will Jesus do? Jesus loves you. We love you. And you do have a place here. What does Jesus do? Jesus goes to him. In verse 28, when he saw Jesus... He cried out, the man did, and the demons in him, fell down before him and said with a loud voice, screaming, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Whoop! There's the answer to the question the disciples asked. Who is this that calms the seas and the winds? And the disciples are, this is such irony. The disciples who have left everything to follow Jesus are trying to figure out just exactly who this Jesus is. And the demon who is leading this man's life to the ends of destruction knows exactly who Jesus is. He is Jesus, son of the most high God. And notice the demons are in absolute submission to Jesus. They they aren't worshiping Jesus. They're on their knees begging for permission to survive, to not be tormented. In verse 28, I beg you, do not torment me, verse 29, for he had commanded, see the power he had over them. He commanded the unclean spirit, come out of this man. Here's our second point. Jesus has power over sin and demons. Jesus has power over sin and demons. And I know what you're thinking. If you are riddled with sin, you don't believe that right now. You feel like you are powerless. In fact, you were told to say you were powerless over this. But Jesus has power over sin and demons, He has the power over the storms of destruction, and He has power over sin and demons. In verse 30 and 31, we see they're begging him. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? This is a power move, the scholars say. This is a power move in their society where they would have to submit and say, my name is this, and he's asserting himself as the one with authority. And he says, what is your name? And he said, legion, meaning many, like a legion of, of, of soldiers. For many demons had entered him, and they begged him, Not to command him, not to depart into the abyss. They're begging him. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside, and they begged him again to let them enter those pigs, and so he gave them permission. You see, these demons can only do what Jesus permits, allows, and they're begging, and he's commanding. Jesus has. Power over sin and demons. And Jesus has limited Satan's power. He can only tempt you, he can only lie to you, he can only try to confuse you, but he can't overtake you without you granting him that in your life. Jesus has the power over sin and demons. When Jesus entered into flesh, when God took on flesh as a baby in a manger, we celebrate this day because this is the day that Jesus began his march towards the cross where he defeats sin. There's three aspects of sin. There's the power of sin, there's the penalty of sin, and then there's the presence of sin. When Jesus died on the cross and he was buried and he rose again, he demonstrated that he crushed the head of the certain serpent as he promised. The Satan was destroyed. He destroyed the power of sin and he destroyed the penalty of sin for all who trust in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, he took your penalty of sin for you. He absorbed God's wrath that you deserved for your sin. If you are trusting in Jesus, the penalty of sin has been removed from you. He also conquered the power of sin as demonstrated by his resurrection. And you say, well, I don't feel like the power of sin has been conquered in my life. Well, that's going to be a journey of transformation in your life, learning how to have victory over the power that sin seems to have in your life. And it comes with faith and learning how to walk by the Spirit and saying no to temptation and saying yes to the Spirit and yes to the things of God and getting in community and having brothers and sisters helping you fight sin and temptation in your life and it's a gradual process usually sometimes I've seen people get instant victory over certain temptations and sin in their life but most of the time it's a gradual battle of trusting the Lord and learning how to walk away from sin resist the devil and he will flee the Bible says you absolutely can say no to that sin though it feels like you can't So the power has been defeated. The penalty has been absorbed by Jesus. Finally, there's the presence of sin, which we still battle. But Jesus says, I've already given you victory of that as well. When he returns, he's going to give a new heavens and a new earth, a new existence freed from the presence of sin. What a glorious day that will be. So Jesus has the power over sin and demons. And then we see this man's radical transformation that he wants to bring about in your life today. Look at verse 34 through 39. When the herdsman. Listen to the crowd who saw. This is so funny. When the herdsmen saw what happened, they fled, out and, told, they fled and told it to the city and the country. So they're spreading the news. Y'all aren't going to believe what happened to this guy. The people went out to see what happened. So they went out and said, y'all, this guy who's been running around, demon-possessed, running around naked, out of his mind, he has been radically changed by Jesus. And so they go and tell everybody, everybody comes and they come to see Jesus. And listen to how they found the man from whom the demons had gone. He is sitting at the feet of Jesus, not running around in the wilderness. He's clothed, not naked, he's in his right mind. And then as Jesus commands him in verse 39, if you skip down to verse 39, it says, And he went out, he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city, how much Jesus had done for him. This is a complete reversal of this man's life, a complete radical transformation from demons and roaming the desert at the graves and out in the wild like a wild animal and naked and out of his mind because he had aligned himself with sin and Satan. But now, aligning himself with Jesus, trusting in Jesus, The demons are gone. He's sitting and learning from Jesus at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind, returning to his hometown, sharing the good news about how Jesus has radically transformed his life. What a picture of salvation and transformation by Jesus Christ. Jesus has power over sin and demons. And I'm just telling you, if you are in the midst of being racked with sin and you feel like you are powerless, that's a good place to start. Jesus has the power over sin. Put your faith in him. Trust him to forgive you. You're not here. You're not being condemned by us. You may feel that way, but if anybody's condemning you, then they don't, they don't, need, to be, uh, they don't need to be doing that because that's not God's will for us. Turn to Christ, and he will accept your penalty for you, and he will begin to give you the the freedom from the power sin has over your life. But you have to respond. Let's look how they responded. This crowd who saw this radical transformation responded in a crazy way. Verse 35, And they, the people from the city, they were afraid. Okay, so this dude who was in his crazy, not in his right mind is now sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and now they're afraid? And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. It was explained to them, Jesus healed this, this man. And then what did they do? Then all the people of the surrounding country the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. <laughs> um, could you please leave, Jesus? if this is what you're going to do in our town. That's what the world does. It doesn't make sense. It's inexplicable. Jesus brings healing to the world, and yet they say, "Um, could you take that and get out of here? How are you going to respond to the clear gospel message today? Are you going to trust in Christ like this man who was healed, or are you going to say, take that out of here? They asked him to depart, for they were seized with great fear. Finally, we see encounters woven, two encounters woven together in one final event. In these accounts, we see Jesus' encounter with sickness and death. Anyone here afraid of that storm? Sickness and death. In 840, look at verse 40. Now when Jesus returned back to Galilee, back to the Jewish land, the crowd welcomed him, man, the cheering crowd. Hey, he's coming back, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. So he is a powerful Jewish religious ruler. And yet look what he does. Falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house for his greatest fears have been realized Verse 42, he had an only daughter about 12 years of age and she was dying. This very powerful religious ruler who is used to having all the power he needed to do whatever he wanted done is powerless to heal his daughter. He is in the midst of the storm of all storms. And many of you are there as well powerless over disease and when we're powerless fear is trying to seize us at all times we should go to jesus and humble ourselves and throw ourselves on the mercies of jesus and what did jesus do verse 42 as jesus went Heading to the man's house, we get interrupted by another person with disease. The people pressed around him and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. As long as that little girl has been alive, this woman has been struggling with this disease. And though she had spent every dime she had, she spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. Her life is turned upside down. She is absolutely bankrupt. She is absolutely hopeless. She has a mountain of medical bills. She doesn't have anything else. She has lost it all, and she is no one's been able to bring her healing. And she is just powerless. She is in a storm. And what does she do? Verse 44, she came up behind Jesus and just touched the fringe of his garment. If I could just, if you have had this disease for 12 years, if you've ever seen anyone who is anemic, they have no energy. Exhausted 24-7. So with whatever ounce of energy she had left, whatever hope she could muster up, one more thing, she reaches out with her frail hand of faith, and she touches the hem of his garment. And very simply, Luke says, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Wow! The power of Jesus. I pray today if you are in that place of hopelessness and you feel like you've got nothing left and you've tried everything and you are in the midst of a storm, reach out one more time to Jesus. I'm not saying you hadn't done it before. I'm just saying keep on reaching out with whatever ounce of strength and hope you can muster in faith and touch the hymn of Jesus so what happened what did Jesus do to this woman who reached out which by the way again a blood disease is another ceremonial unclean a taboo no no you don't get near them they have to be clean before they come and Jesus could have looked at her and said who is who was it that touched me and get on to her and rebuke her but he doesn't what does he do verse 45 jesus said who was it that touched me and when all denied it including her everyone's like what me peter said master i look the crowds surround you and they're pressing in on you but jesus said someone touched me for i perceive that power has gone out from me do you think jesus is like i don't have a clue what's going on here no, he's, he's working something here. He says, someone's touched me. I've perceived the power of the Holy Spirit's implied. Has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden. When the woman saw, Jesus knew it was her. She's like, he's like, no, someone touched me. <laughs> She's like, oh, She came trembling. There's that fear again. All these stories are filled with fear. And falling down before him... She declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been healed immediately. And Jesus says, that's what I want right there. I want you to declare in front of all the people why you've reached out to Jesus and how he's healed you. And then Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith. You're like, that's faith? that's faith I mean she's just like kind of secret and the lost in the crowd and just reaches out and touches the hem of the garment he says that's that's right remember the man who said Lord I believe but help my unbelief her weak barely hanging on by a fingernail touching of his garment he says daughter your faith has made you well go in peace Jesus already healed her But he wanted her to publicly proclaim her faith in Jesus, and he wanted to testify that he, Jesus, our third point, Jesus has power over sickness and death. Do you believe that? Oh, we're too scientific for this, right? Jesus has the power over sickness and death. Yes, he does. Does Jesus still heal? every day all the time he uses medicine he use, uses the hands of doctors and nurses he is behind their healing of bodies and also supernaturally when he deems it fit so you should when you're sick turn to jesus and say lord would you heal me and you should go to the doctor and ask for help But ultimately, you should trust Jesus is good even if he chooses not to heal you now. Look what happens with this. In verse 49, Jesus was still speaking. Someone from the ruler's house came and said, hey, your daughter is dead. So the the daughter is dead. Jesus spent too long on this other scene. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, upon hearing this, said, do not fear. Only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter, John, and James. And the the father and mother of the child and all were weeping and mourning. They're in a storm. They are riddled with grief. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. You are clueless, Jesus. You do not understand. Knowing that she was dead, but taking her by the hand, he called, saying two words, child, arise. Arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that some he directed that something should be given her to eat. And her parents were amazed. Don't you know they were? But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Jesus really has power over sickness and death. Luke investigated this. Luke has recorded this. These are firsthand eyewitness accounts. He's already rebuked the wind and the rains. Why would you think that he couldn't heal? Listen to me. If you're here today and you are riddled with sickness or sin, you're in the storm of your life, I want you to turn to Jesus. I love the fact that he gave her something to eat. You know why? Because that means she's going to die again. It wasn't like this permanent eternal healing. The storms are coming. We're all going to face them. And we all face the ultimate storm of death. The question is, do you have victory over death through faith in the resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ? I pray today you have just been given a glimpse of his power and that you will turn to him for salvation and resurrection Father God I pray for your moving today I pray Lord that there are people here today who have find themselves in a terrible storm and who have all but given up and need you to work in their life and Lord they're like these different individuals in the stories, the real accounts of of you coming to people in the storms of life. And they need healing, they need hope, they need your power. Lord, help us all to trust in you in the midst of our storms. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
1: Let's stand and sing together. Though the nations rage, kingdoms rise. And fall, there is still one king reigning over all. So I will not fear, for this truth remains that my God is the ancient of days. None above Him, none before Him, all of time in His hands. For His throne it shall remain and ever stand. All the power, all the glory, I will trust in His name. For my God is the Ancient of Day. above him and before him all of time in his hands for his throne it shall remain and ever stand all the power all the glory I will trust in his name for my God is The Ancient of Days Though I may not see What the future brings I will watch and wait for the Savior King. Then my joy complete, standing face to face in the presence of the Ancient of day. For him all of time in his hands For his throne it shall remain and ever stand All the power, all the glory I will trust in his name For my God is the ancient of days sing for my god for my god is the ancient of days
3: Well, we have been encouraged this morning to turn to Jesus, to trust Jesus in the midst of our storms, to have faith in the midst of our storms, and it is our faith in Jesus Christ that will bring peace to our lives. You guys can remain standing. I just have a few announcements for you. If you're a guest, I just want to thank you for being here this morning. Uh, the best way for you to get connected to Norris Ferry is to fill out a Connect card, and you can digitally do that by texting NFCC guest to 97,000. That will just send you a link. Click on that link, fill out that information, and I'll reach out to you about how to get connected. Another way for you to find out about what's going on in the life of Norris Ferry is to text NFCC info to 97,000, and that will send you our weekly newsletter with events coming up. Next Sunday, I just want to tell you, is our Christmas service, and so we will have our candlelight Christmas service next Sunday, and at both services, we will light candles and have the Lord's Supper as well. So come, join us, invite your your neighbors, your friends, and your, your families, and we will make it work. It'll be a great time of worshiping our Lord because he has come, he has come to bring peace. And so I pray that you guys will come and enjoy that with us. Now, let me send you out with this benediction. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may overflow in faith and hope. Amen. You guys are dismissed.
0: some blankets to sit on the ground. It'll just be a fun time. Sunday night. Next Sunday night. Have a great week.